What a powerful name it is. Let's open up that word that declares that powerful name to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, as I'm excited to be able to begin this new series in the Gospels, particularly looking at the parables together, beginning in Matthew chapter 13. And this morning, we're just going to read three verses in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. It'll be on the screen behind me. But bring it with you next time if you need one. Grab one today and follow along with us. And this is what uh, the Holy Spirit says through Matthew this morning in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, did you catch that? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. God, would you help us to see beautiful things in your law today. Instruct us, delight us, move us, change us to know the Son and be more like him as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, what's the next thing? A new hobby, a new toy, a new promotion, the next thing that will bring you joy, the next thing that will bring you, sure, fulfillment. The next thing is different for everybody, isn't it? Depending upon your social status, your economic status, but all of us have that next thing in mind that we're looking forward to or moving towards. The next vacation, the next remodel, the next car, the next gun, the next golf clubs, the next lunch. We're all thinking and always thinking about the next thing. Can you relate? Jesus shares relatable stories to all of us right where we are at, addressing the heart of who we are. And the story today, we find that the final next thing is available. It's the next thing that ends all next things, but it'll cost you the things of all the previous things that you already have. We all love a good story, don't we? We all peek up and we lean forward when a great storyteller is telling us a great story. We learn so much from them. The other day I was accidentally added to a text thread that I wasn't supposed to be a part of. Have you ever had that happen before? It was a good one, it was awesome. I got this picture of Carl Albertson, who is a member of our church here, of this catfish that he had caught. And all his buddy and fellow fishermen were chiming in about this huge fish. Don't you just love a good fish story? This one actually has the proof to back it up though, right? I mean, look at the size of that thing. Now, what Carl didn't do was say, just a simple text, catfish, hook, spillway. He didn't just give us a series of one word random facts. He laid out the story for us and then it, it caused us to question what's going on here 
and had the, the picture explained even more beyond what the story is talking about. So as we look, Jesus is gonna tell stories or pictures that explain further the teaching of what he is saying. And that's why the Bible is not one long theological statement, but it's mostly narrative. It's mostly story. 35% of Jesus' teaching was in story form that we call parables. Stories that are intended to make us stop, think, and act. Stories that are a reordering of our lives, taking what culture says is important, flipping it on its head, and then moving us onto God's agenda and what he's doing in the world. Now, parables aren't something that was new. It was something that had been around before the time of Jesus, but Jesus took the common way of teaching in that day and perfected it, made it something famous, something that was associated with Jesus. Now, the parables of Jesus are found in the synoptic gospels. If you're not familiar with that term, but you hear it all the time, synoptic just means similar. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're similar in their content, similar in their scope, all containing parables. The most two-thirds of them are found in Luke. The second most is found in Matthew, and then a few in Mark, and John is not similar. It's different altogether. There are no parables in John at all. But what is a parable? I've taken this two definitions from two different people, Wilkin and Jay Mack, and I put together this, a deceptively simple story illustrating a profound truth. A parable is a deceptively simple story that illustrates a profound truth. If you break down the word parable, para means to, to be beside, and bola, bolo or parable means to throw. So the word, you bring those two together and it means parable means to throw beside. So there is a truth being taught and a parable is placed alongside of it to help further ex- illustrate, to help further explain the truth and to shed light on what the teacher, in this case, Jesus, is trying to bring out. Why does Jesus teach this way? Well, the first reason might be a little strange. It might come as a surprise to you. The first reason Jesus teaches this way is because he wants to hide the truth from the self-righteous. He wants to hide the truth from the self-righteous. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Jesus tells us later in Matthew chapter 13 that he talks in parables so that those who see don't see, those who hear do not hear, and do not understand. Jesus used parables to intentionally hide the truth from the self-righteous. Those who thought they were too wise, too good to learn from Jesus, he told stories and then didn't explain it to them to hide the truth from them. Secondly, he shared them to reveal truth to the unrighteous, or that is to say, those who knew they needed Jesus those who knew that they were unrighteous and not righteous without Christ. That's where the second part of that verse says, you have hidden them from the the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. That is, those who come to Christ with faith of a child, God makes his teaching clear, clear and understandable. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you automatically understand Jesus' teaching right away if you're seeking him. Have you ever heard some of Jesus' teaching and you're like, what? Right? Can I get a little explanation here? That's a little hard to swallow, a little hard to understand. And that was true of the disciples as well. Jesus would say, are you understanding this, guys? Like, oh, yeah. You don't want to say no to Jesus, right? <laughs> Peter says, ah, I'm getting it, Jesus, but maybe you should describe it for Andrew's sake, you know, kind of explain <laughs> it a little bit further, right? And these hard parables, often Jesus reveals the meaning afterwards. He takes those aside, but namely his disciples, and explains to them the obscure parables for their understanding and for us as future readers to be able to understand. Just a couple of things. As you study the parables, as we jump into this series together, we want to ask, how should we read the parables? What's the correct way to read them? And number one is we want to read them as expanded analogies, not as allegories. Allegories is a, is a, are stories where everything represents something, like Pilgrim's Progress. Often in allegories, like C.S. Lewis, animals can talk. It's not real life. But parables depict real life. They're fictional stories of events that actually could happen and perhaps have happened to the people that Jesus is talking to. So we read them as, not as, as analogies, not allegories. And second, we want to read them looking for one main point. MacArthur points out to us, often there's multiple layers in a parable, but one simple point. So the point is almost always, if there is obscure, expanded by Jesus if there's more than one. In other words, don't read into the parables too much. That's not what they're intended to be done to them. Like, don't read the parable of the Good Samaritan where he gives two coins to the innkeeper and say, oh, the two coins, grace and mercy, look at that. Faith and repentance, no, they aren't meant to be read that way, but to shed light on a simple uh, teaching that Jesus is bringing out. Klein Snodgrass, isn't that a wonderful name? tells us that parables are meant to awaken insight, stimulate conscience, and move us to action. Simply put, in our series, as we read parables, we want to do this, we want to stop. Some of you are distracted. I've sat in those seats before and seen a guy's mouth moving up front and not hear a word he said. With the events of life, things you brought in, things that are happening under this, the parables are meant to say, stop, Listen, and in light of what you hear, think about your own life. Where does my life not line up with the things that Jesus is saying, his teaching? And in light of my own life, what do I need to do as a result? Jesus is calling me to not just say, that's a great story, but to act, what must I do as a result of hearing today? Jesus teaches in these parables, and the message that permeates or is all throughout his parables is the message of the kingdom. This series is called Stories of the Kingdom, so we'll, we'll unpack what the kingdom is as the weeks go on, but just let me give you just a couple of things about what is God's kingdom. Number one, it is the place where God's redeemed citizens reside. 
Luke 17, 20 through 21 tells us this. It says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that could be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. God's kingdom is everywhere. His rule extends over all things. God created all things. He established his kingdom in the garden. But Jesus is talking about not just the rule of God, his sovereign rule over everything. He's talking about something more than that, something deeper than that. What was once lost in the garden because of sin, now at first Christ's first coming can be regained again. That is all who would believe in Christ in his death and resurrection first offered to the Jews and then to the Greek would now become citizens, not of a, of a kingdom that they could see, or a kingdom that has said, here it is, there it is, but to live as citizens on an earthly kingdom with heavenly visas, living in a different place. Colossians 1.13 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of the Son. When you come to Jesus, you're transferred from one kingdom to the other, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. A young boy came to me after vacation Bible school on Friday night, and he said, I've switched teams this week. He came to know Jesus. And he said, I've switched from being on the team of sin to moving on to God's team. That might be a little easier way to put it, isn't it? transferring, not on his own doing, but God moving him from one kingdom to the other. And this now is how the kingdom of God grows and how it expands. There's a lot of confusion about the kingdom of God that somehow we can bring it about through social justice, through mercy ministries, which we love and are important. But when it comes to growing and expanding the kingdom of God, only the king can do that. It's up to God and it's through the proclamation of the gospel from transferring people from darkness into the kingdom of the sun. And what you're gonna find as we study these parables is the kingdom of God is very surprising. It's surprising. Jesus is teaching of the kingdom. It's not the way you'd expect it to be. The religious are listening and thinking, oh yeah, that's me, I'm in the kingdom. I'm good to go. Look at my life. And then Jesus says this. Matthew 21, 31. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. What? Are you serious? And you see Jesus. He's always he's shocking everybody with his teaching. Spinning everything around. And so this is a challenge for us as Christians to read the Bible not the way we've been culturally conditioned to. Not with the way with presuppositions, which we always bring those when we interpret the Bible, but what is it that Jesus is actually saying in the culture that he was talking to and what his view of Christianity is? And if you're out there this morning, and that's what you want to get to the bottom of, not what have I heard, not what have I seen in imperfect people who follow Jesus, but what is it that Jesus says? How do I enter his kingdom? What did Jesus really teach? 
the parables unfold that for us. Thirdly, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is the same thing, is already. God spiritually has transferred us. We already inherit the spiritual benefits of the kingdom. We're already seated with Christ. We already have an inheritance. It's as if the kingdom, uh, uh, the new age is creeping into this one for Christians. It's pushing through. I was driving down beautiful I-80 in Iowa just this other day, and that was before one of Iowa's beautiful locations, the world's largest truck stop. And the sun was peering through the clouds. And it was there already, but then the clouds opened up and we saw it. And so for Christians, when we come into God's kingdom, we experience the benefits of we see it, we live differently as citizens. But Jesus has not come back yet. The kingdom, although it was inaugurated on his first coming, has not fully arrived. It has not come, it hasn't been consummated, it's not here yet. We're instructed to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, meaning that it's not here, and the fullness is in the future, God's millennial reign. And when he reigns on earth in the throne of David, not everyone will know him, they will know about him. The knowledge of him will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And fourthly, it's an announcement The kingdom is abstract for us. We've never lived under a king or queen. The gospel is not just an invitation, but an announcement to a first century Jew that was living under oppressive rule. Jesus comes on the scene and says, the time for you has come to live under God. God is to be your king. And Jesus is showing us today this parable of discovery. Two stories with the same point, a slight variations. There were no banks in the ancient realm. There were no places to safely put your money. So that's when verse 44 says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a treasure in a field, which a man found covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one great pearl of value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Now, it was said in, in rabbinic literature that if, you, if your treasure was not buried directly under your house or directly under your, the porch of your house, it was free game to anyone who found it. It truly was finders, keepers, This guy stumbles upon a treasure. It obviously belonged to a previous owner than the current landowner because the guy goes and sells everything he has and buys the land, so now the treasure belongs to him. Now, can you imagine you? You're out for a nice walk. Maybe it's a nice walk in an abandoned field like you do all the time. You stub your foot on something. It makes you angry. You think it's a rock, and you get mad, but then you look down, and you see it's a little metal box. It's shining, it's sticking up from the earth. You dig it up, and you find that there are bonds in it worth millions of dollars. You're just on a, on a stroll, and all of a sudden, you're an instant millionaire. And you bury it. You find out who owns the land, because you don't want to steal the treasure from somebody else. You go, you sell everything in order to acquire it. You put all your stuff on eBay. 
You put everything on the Sailorville Ladies Chat and Swap page. <laughs> you sell it all. People are watching, and they're like, what is going on with you? People are intervening. They're saying, do you know what you're doing here? Have you thought about these things? And the whole time, you're just laughing. <laughs> it's all good. Don't worry. Why? Because you know, after selling everything, what you are about to possess. You know a secret. And the main point of these two parables is when you enter the kingdom of God, the gain is far greater than the loss. With that main point, we'll look at some implications for us this morning. Number one, the inheriting of the kingdom of God will cost you. Inheriting the kingdom of God will cost you. Now, get, don't get me wrong. Admission into the kingdom of God is free to you and me. It's paid for. But you'll notice the man loses everything. Jesus in his kingdom is not calling you and I to add him to our lives, to continue on as business as usual. I can live out my story and I can add Jesus to it. Jesus is helpful to me, right? He's beneficial to me, but he's not everything. But God is calling us to abandon the narrative of our lives and adopt his. To not just check off the boxes and live our lives, but to live out his story. This whole idea that you can add God to your lives and not change anything, just recite a few things, and nothing changes over time, is a lie. You will not find that in scripture that's not from Jesus, it's from the devil deceiving you. Jesus accepts you where you're at, but if you truly know him, you can't stay there. Tony Evans tells a story of his daughter coming to him and saying, Daddy, I want a nickel. And he says, well, honey, I don't have a nickel. And he reaches into his pocket and he gives her a $20 bill. And she says, no, Daddy, I want a nickel. And he says, honey, that's a lot of nickels. So many of us, we hold on to our lives and say, no, I want the nickel the small pleasure that comes from it. Jesus isn't saying that you are to be devoid of pleasure when you come to him, but if you're willing to lose, you'll have pleasures forevermore. So give up the nickel in exchange for God, for Jesus himself to inherit his kingdom. Secondly, to gain is far greater than the loss. The gain is far greater than the loss when you enter God's kingdom. Notice how he says, in his joy, he sold everything he had. In his joy. It wasn't in his disgruntledness, he lost everything he had. Oh, I guess I'll give it all up. He says, no, what I'm gonna gain is so much better than this, it's a joy for me to give up these things. The kingdom is the cure for the next thing in your life. It's a thing that all the things point to and it's gaining the king himself. It's the secret to life. 
That's why Paul says, I count it all joy knowing I've lost all things for the sake of knowing Christ and being found in him. Losing your life to being found in Christ. And as you see this, you grow in Jesus. It's a moment-by-moment decision. We must see Christ as the greater treasure to grow in him daily. So it's that one time, yes, I've counted the cost to follow Christ, and then it's an overtime of continually giving up lesser joys to gain the greater joy that comes in Christ. Early on in our marriage, my wife and I signed up for the total cable package. Have you ever done one of those before? For three months, you get everything for like $29, and then when three months is up, you get everything for like $300, right? (laughs) But I remember getting this and discovering there was literally everything on every channel. And all of a sudden in my home, there was more temptation than I had ever had before. And I had given in to these temptations that were before me, and I said, I don't want this anymore. And I humbled myself and went to my wife, and I said, I've sinned. Can you please put the parental controls on me? Now, that sounds crazy, right? Some of you laugh. And that sounds like an immature Christian. But you know what? Maturity is not someone who doesn't know their temptation. It isn't someone that never gives in to temptation, but one who knows their temptation and is willing to know their weaknesses and willing to put things up in its place. And you know what happened? I didn't have access to those channels anymore. And sometimes things came on that were really good and I wanted to watch, but I couldn't because I didn't have access to them anymore. But the joy that came when the things that I wasn't supposed to, I said, I don't want that and I can't get to it. It far outweighed what uh, being able to watch the things that were wrong. The joy of knowing Christ. Listen, nobody regrets after the fact saying no to sin and yes to Christ. Afterwards, it might feel like the hardest thing in that moment. This is what I need. This is where the pleasure comes from. But the gain of saying yes to Christ is far greater Sometimes you have to be willing to say no to smaller freedoms to gain greater freedom in Christ. Do you really believe that following Christ, the gain is far greater than anything you'd ever lose? When we say yes, we nod our heads to that, I proclaim it up here, but do you functionally live that way? I was mowing yesterday and I was asking God, I'm saying I'm about ready to preach on this tomorrow, God, do I functionally live a life that says I see you as greater gain than anything I could ever have? And God revealed to me, no, you don't. But I desire to. Don't you? You're never going to perfectly in this life, but don't you desire to see it? To experience the joy that comes from functionally living out what you claim that Jesus really is better? Better than anything we could ever possess, better than any comfort, better than any praise, better than any wealth or anything else. What if 
We as a church, not just a few people, but what if this was our prayer every day? Can you imagine, God is working here at Sailorville Church, can you imagine how much more he'd be, what? this church would be unstoppable if we let go of the lesser kingdoms in our lives and said, yes, I believe that. I'm not just going to add God to my life. I'm not just going to make him a part of it, but he's gonna be central to everything that I do. I want you to make him that way and experience the joy of discovery in your life. Thirdly, the kingdom of God has one highway, but many on-ramps. John 14, 6 says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. That last line there is a Pastor Pat line. Though he be on sabbatical, he still speaks, right? But it's true. The difference between these two parables is the treasure found in the field, he stumbled upon it. He wasn't looking for it. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you came to know Christ. You weren't looking for it, and suddenly someone presents the gospel to you. You know, this is exactly what I need. Maybe that's you this morning. You reluctantly came with a friend to church and said, I'm not looking for this, and this, your, your heart is stirred. You're thinking, this is exactly what I need. The pearl of great price, he was looking for it. He was the modern antiquer. He was the picker going from place to place looking for it. And he finds it and sells all that he has. Maybe that was more your story. Searching for God. Looking for him. Looking for the joy. Looking for the end of the next thing. And you find it. And you find satisfaction in Jesus. If you're searching for him, Jesus is the end all. Jesus is the king. The kingdom is where true joy is found. Are you willing to consider the cost and enter it? Mark chapter one, verse 15, this is the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth recorded in this gospel. He says, the time is fulfilled The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is how you enter the kingdom. Repent and believe. Two signs to the very same coin. Jesus is saying denounce and turn from the smaller kingdoms in your life the one that you hold on to, those kingdoms of sin and everything this world says is important, denounce those and turn from them and turn to me and believe the gospel. Believe the good news that Jesus Christ paid the price. He paid the cost so that we could have admission into the kingdom for free, and it came at a great cost, his very own life. Believe the good news. Trust in him that the king himself came and lived among his people. Sacrificed his own life for subjects, people that, even those that refused to acknowledge him as king. No king does that, but the true king does. The king of kings and lord of lords, showing us who he truly was when he rose from the grave. 
Won't you turn from your smaller kingdoms, things that you've built up, and trust in him today? So Sailorville Church, let's stop. Let's think. And let's act. In light of what you've heard today, what kind of response does God desire from you? He doesn't desire rejection, but that could be your response today. His desire is that you act upon it to weigh out the cost of following Christ, to see the great gain that comes from knowing him and enter into his kingdom and continue to live differently as a citizen in it. Jesus, we thank you for your teaching. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to look into your word and see that we can be known by the king, that we can be citizens of his kingdom, and the admission to that kingdom is made possible through the death of the king himself, Jesus Christ, conquering death in the grave. He's now ascended as Lord of lords and King of kings, and one day returning to establish his kingdom forever, which there will be no end. Riding in on a horse, with king of kings and lord of lords written on him and he will establish his kingdom and throne forever. Won't we acknowledge that today, that that is a true reality and come into his kingdom, count the cost and experience the joy of discovery with joy saying hallelujah, all I have is Christ and that's all I need. Jesus is my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Paul said, brothers, for freedom you have been set free. No longer submit yourself to the yoke of slavery. There's freedom in knowing that Christ is all you have and he's all you need. And we submit ourselves again to slavery when we start looking to other kingdoms to satisfy. You got to remember, if you are in Christ, you're already, already fully accepted by him, justified on your way to heaven, but you're still not yet. And so the way that you got into the kingdom through repentance and belief is the same way that you grow in the kingdom. You, you repent when you struggle, when you sin, and you believe that the same king that brought you in is the same king that's gonna keep you in. And he's gonna grow you and empower you through his Holy Spirit to grow into his likeness and find your satisfaction in him. That's what we want. We desire that for us as a church, to find our ultimate joy in Christ and satisfaction and freedom in him. So if you want to talk to someone today about that, if you want to uh, just let us know um, by way of text, I'll be down front here with my wife. There's going to be Abe and Jared out there at the information center. Talk to someone you came with. You know who your friends are. Talk to them, all right? I don't have to tell you who to talk to. Just talk to someone and let them know how God has spoken to you today. And if you want to enter God's kingdom through the Son, Jesus, the King of kings, why don't you talk to us down front here?